Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. This is uh, your host, Clint Davis, and this is episode 67 so I'm going to give a couple of caveats before we get started. Um, so some some major points I'm going to try to make through this episode so you know where I'm going, and then hopefully at the end you'll, you'll get the summation. But, you know, we're calling this balanced parenting uh, episode. And so what we're – I've had a lot of people approach me about um, spanking and gentle parenting and, and all kinds of different philosophies. And so the goal of this, this episode is not to say gentle parenting's wrong or that – you a hundred percent can never spank your kid, you know, or, or give you kind of a didactic. This is what you should do. The goal is to, to see where the tension is in both sides and maybe why that's come in our culture, why we have a big swing to very therapeutic, very um, child centered lifestyles and parenting, which in some ways we should versus a very um, adult centered. We don't take children's development and where they're at in the world and where they're at in life into account as we parent. And so the goal is to say, uh, okay, what about this can go awry? What about gentle parenting or this kind of far um, sided parenting that we now have, or that we're hearing about that we're posting about um, where, where can that go astray and go awry? And then where can kind of the old school just punishment and consequences and, you know, and uh, behavior modification go awry. So that's the goal of the episode. I follow several gentle parenting pages that are amazing um, I'm a trauma therapist. I love the idea of understanding the brain, understanding the body, understanding childhood development and parenting from that lens. Um, and the, I feel like the more we do that, the more we get it right versus just treating kids as little robots that they should uh, do what we say and be blindly obedient and all this kind of things. Because the one thing that I want to, you know, one of the things I want us to kind of get a grasp of is our kids' job to figure out how to be obedient and how to ask questions and how to challenge and how to push back and how to ask for what they need and how to set expectations and how to be in safe, trusting relationships is modeled through our relationship with them. And so they're going to screw it up. 
and it's our job as parents to have a space for them to screw it up. So they they're gonna ha- they're not gonna never we're not gonna get to a place with them where we teach them perfect behaviors to where they're never disobedient, they never mess up, they never have any kind of disrespect, they're never defiant. Because when they do, we want them to be able to do that with us so that they can go to school and know how to do it appropriately. So when they're an adult and they're in a relationship, they know how to ask questions and talk back. We're not saying that that's okay. We're teaching them how to do that appropriately, which means they're going to mess it up a lot as they go. And so if we have this rigid view that um, you can never talk back, you can never ask questions, you can never demand what you need, you can never stay up late and ask to eat past your bedtime, and we see that as always wrong, and we treat it as a discipline moment or punishment moment so they never do it again, then they don't learn how to do that in life. And so they become an adult or a teenager, and they don't know how to ask from their boyfriend or girlfriend what they need. They don't know how to say no. They don't know how to you know, have these desires, and, and they grow into adults who are in very dysfunctional relationships. And so you know, remember that as, we, as you listen to this episode, that that's the, that's the goal to balance it. The other point that I wanted to make before we get started is our kids are insane. Their brains are not developed. They don't have a prefrontal, which is the executive functioning. They can't make logical decisions for the most part, and they're very self-centered. And that is just a normal, um, healthy way that children develop. And it's part of our job as parents to model and walk with them through that development. And ultimately, as we connect with them and attach them and attune with them and teach them, we are developing their brain. We're helping that prefrontal grow. We're helping that right and left brain be able to talk and be able to connect and and to be able to be the most thriving human being they can be, right? Because that's our job is to to help that grow. I mean, even in the womb, babies, as as the mom sways back and forth and as they listen to music and as there's movement in, in the front and the back and rocking and swaying, that movement is what develops the brain in their body. And there's some awesome videos um, I'll put in the link. Um, follow that and look at that and just look at how a baby it develops in the womb by that movement and that doesn't stop when the baby's outside of the womb the baby needs the rocking and the movement and the soothing and and then as they develop their brain they need that in talk and in actions and behaviors from us so that they continue to develop that brain and so if our kids are being really crazy and they're being irrational and they're being emotional that's what they're supposed to do and it's our job to know that's what they're supposed to do. And so the goal of this episode is just to kind of try to find the balance in that and talk through the pros and the cons of both sides and maybe where we've gotten. And then the last thing um, before we get jump right into it is, is just kind of thinking about the order as a Christian parent of how we teach children about God and the gospel and the story. And so if we look to the Bible, the order in which God teaches us about the whole story of creation is, first he tells us that he, he brings order from the chaos, right? He, his job is that when there's chaos in the world to bring order. And so with our kids, we want to do the same thing. It's always chaotic. It's always crazy. And we want to be the stable order in their life. And then second, he tells them who he is, who is, what his character is, what he does, um, what his role is, that he's relational, that he's loving, that he's reciprocal, that he's creative, that he's emotional, and that he has a plan. And then three, he tells us who we are. He says, here's who you are. Here's how I've created you. And here's your role. You're an image bearer of me. You are co-heirs with Christ. You were were to be put here on this earth and you are good. I've created you and you are good. And so then sin enters into the world later. Um, And so 
we need to do the same thing with our kids is to focus on who God is, how good he is, how safe he is, how secure he is, how good they are, how they were made to be his image bearers, that they were made to be um, holy and righteous. We need to we need to teach them that. We need to model that that's, that's who they are. That's who they were meant to be. And then we can deal with the issue of sin and how that's entered into the world and how that's messed up the plan. And, and our job is to parent them and help them to get back to eat and get back to the plan as we go. Not to label them as, as broken sinners who um, can't do anything right and who, because of their sin, it's always the problem with their behavior. And, and that, that is part of the story, and we want to talk through that. But we can talk through that with a good, you know, good perception and lens of these other things that I just mentioned. We don't want to start with not understanding that because it gets really twisted, and it, and then it gets into the what we see is the behavior and the performance and the anxiety of oh I'm bad deep down, and so I need to to work and be good for mommy and daddy because that'll make me good. Um, and so many of us have struggled with that and trying to earn um, our worth and value and security, trying to please God when He is already so pleased with us, and so. That's just some few caveats I wanted to say in the beginning because our kids are constantly um, looking to us for those things. So as we get into this episode, I'm I'm excited for you guys to listen and um, let's hopefully find some balance in parenting. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis, and we are in episode 67. And today we're going to talk a little bit about parenting. So I've had, um, you know, we've done some parenting podcasts before, but I had a couple of people email me and message me uh, to do one on um, gentle parenting and what that is and, and that conversation. And and so I'm just going to ramble a little bit today and we can talk about it um, and see what you think. So first I want to talk about, you know, just parenting in general. And I've said this on another podcast before, but we'll just specifically kind of dive into it. The idea of parenting is relatively new, um, which is crazy because, you know, we all have parents and have forever. Um, only way we can be here is by having a parent. Um, but the idea of parenting was the phrase was kind of coined in the fifties, uh, by James Dobson and some other, uh, psychologists and therapists, this idea that, you know, how a mother and a father, what they do and how they interact, how it affects a child, uh, was, I mean, it's ultimately a rare, relatively new concept and conversation because for all of history, that wasn't much of a conversation. You know, the, uh, humans would have a baby, they would raise the baby and, and in most settings would be in survival mode, you know, would, I mean, ultimately in a cave or, um, you know, in an outdoor place in a teepee, in a, in a something that wasn't what we have now. And so the goal was to keep the baby alive, right? There wasn't a lot of time to think about emotional needs or, um, entertainment or comfort or therapeutic techniques or, you know, any of the things that we kind of talk about, all the time. Now, um, the father mostly had to go out and hunt and gather and would go out into the wilderness and into the, uh, area around and forage. The mother would stay home. The community would help raise the children, try to keep them alive. Most of the time, um, that went badly. You know, children didn't live for a long time. And, and then as, as we progressively got more, um, smarter with the way we do life and, and, you know, things came about with technology, um, even from fire to, you know, um, houses, you know, we survive longer. So we live longer. We, you know, a lot of adults were 32 and died, you know, that was not a very good, uh, you know, life expectancy in in the world for a very long time. And I say all this to say 
that by the time that, you know, industrial revolution came about and, um, we started to, our medicine became better. We started being able to live longer was about the time that we started to have the capacity to even start to think about the rest of it. Emotional intelligence, you know, the impact on, uh, family systems, trauma, the brain. And so I don't know if, uh, you know, we don't have the research and the data to, to measure all of history, but it'd be interesting to think about how resilient those 12-year-olds were compared to 12-year-olds now and what they went through. And, you know, they, they got up when the sun came up. They weren't in the alarm clocks. They woke up with the sun and they went to bed when the sun went down because they were tired and exhausted. And they had worked on the, the farm all day and, and they had done those things. And, and so at as the you know industrial revolution came and as parenting kind of came into the conversation, I think we also became very individualized and we lost culture and community and this idea of communal parenting. And, you know, people would say it takes a village to raise a kid. And I look around and I don't see very many villages. I see a lot of individuals trying to raise individuals. And uh, unfortunately in America, 56% of that is a single parent, you know, a divorce situation where now it's just a, one parent trying to raise a kid or share custody of a kid. And so I think what that bred in us was um, this deep-rooted shame-based parenting that that a lot of us feel of, man, we got to keep up with everybody. We got to entertain our kid. We got to keep them comfortable. We got to keep them happy. We don't want to traumatize them. We don't want to, you know, hurt them. And, and so we've seen the swing. So gentle parenting is a concept um, that takes a lot of healthy psychology into play it sees the child as a human being that, that has emotions and feelings that, you know, we understand their brain and we understand their bodies and we help them co-regulate and, and those things are amazing. But I think sometimes it's a swing to the far right or the far left, whichever direction, um, from what we've known most of history. And so there's some tension there. And I find that tension in my own house with my kids. It's like, okay, I know, I want them to grow into emotionally capable human beings who can use their emotions and regulate and empathize and sympathize and connect and read other people's emotions and and to be able to do all that stuff. But again, that is a relatively new way of living because it wasn't useful for most of history. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't care about people's feelings, but the amount of space we have to give to it and talk about it and empathize emphasize it is so much more than was ever even practically capable to do in all of human history. And so we have to adapt with the times, but at the same time, um, man, it puts us in this weird situation because a lot of times as parents, you know, we, we, we've learned a lot about respect and, and discipline and, um, these things that had they not happened, our kids would die. And what I mean by that is if, if in the sixties or the forties or the 1900s or any time before that, if our kid didn't listen to us, you know, they might run outside and get killed or get bitten by a snake or get eaten by a wolf or, you know, starved to death because they just went outside while we were tending to the whatever. And so the type of discipline that happened needed to be more forced in some ways because the consequences were so much greater. The risk was so much greater. And as we become more safe and secure and comfortable that risk has gone down and and yet a lot of the parenting has stayed the same the same authoritative fear-based 
punishment-based parenting is continuing to happen even though our kids are not at risk in the ways that they were. And simultaneously, they've become at greater risk for other things, and we haven't switched. And I think gentle parenting is a switch in that direction. It's saying, hey, listen, our kids aren't going outside and getting eaten by wolves anymore. They're not going outside and getting dysentery. They're not going outside and getting smallpox. But they are online, and they are around other people at alarming rates who, where they need to learn how to deal with their emotions. They're being exposed to constant entertainment, constant self-gratification, constant self-soothing, and they don't know how to regulate. And so it's interesting that we still haven't really found the, the balance in the swing. We, you know, I agree with, um, like my son the other night, he got really mad. He was frustrated and he, Grady got, he started talking back to me. He was hungry. I had said, you know, the kitchen's closed at seven thirty, buddy. So if you need to, you know, you need to eat right then. Well, he has allergies and he has some issues. So his food doesn't have much calories in it. And at the moment he was not hungry. He said, well, of course at seven thirty, he's like, I'm starving. I want some rice. Will you make me rice? And we get in this debate and, and the old school type of parenting is like, nope, you go in there and you go to sleep you're going to, you know, you lay in there hungry and that'll quote unquote, remind you tomorrow night to follow the rules. And gentle parenting is, you know what? I want to meet your needs. I want you to feel seen and heard and valued. And so, you know, I'm going to stay up and I'm going to cook rice and I'll let you stay up another 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Not that big of a deal. And I'll let you do what you need to do because I want you to feel fully known and fully seen and fully heard. And, and I do want my kid to do that. But there also has to be some structure and some consistency. So the question is, what kind of humans are we making in in these polarizations? And again, I'm not hating on general parenting and I'm not hating on discipline. I'm just trying to have a conversation about how there can be problems on both sides if it's not balanced and how they're both kind of a a reactive to the other. You know, I hear I have a lot of people like, you know, these kids are out of control. They do whatever they want to. They're arrogant. You know, they're pompous. They. They think they're, you know, they don't know authority. They don't respect authority. And all, I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of truth to that, that we're seeing that in our teenagers and our young adults right now. And there, there needs to be some respect for those things. And then I see the other side of, well, people have been spanking their kids forever and nobody cares about their emotions. And let's look at the science of their brain and they need to be seen and heard. And, and you know, yes, that's true too. So all that's true. How to do it is what we're trying to talk about today. And I think we have to realize that we don't want to be reactive in the way we parent. We do not want to come from a place of I'm going to do this thing and not know what the outcome is we want. And so when we, when we talk about discipline, for example, that root, that word, the root word is out of disciple, which means to teach. So we've got to get back down to understanding that our kids are little humans with brains. And the fact that we understand their brain and their brain development and how that functions is great. And I think all of us should read books like The Whole Brain Child and No Drama Discipline. And if you're a parent, we have to understand the social and emotional development of our kids. And we have the ability now to Google that and watch a YouTube video and understand it a lot more. We can't be over here going, well, you know, it doesn't matter. They just need to listen and they need to be obedient and they need to follow the rules if we're not understanding how that's possible. Because discipline means to teach, which means we have to know if our kid is capable of learning the lesson we're trying to teach them. 
And then we also have to ask ourselves, what lesson am I trying to teach them? Because they're learning, they're adapting, they're picking up on what it is, and they're not always learning the lesson we're trying to teach. So if we go back to Grady and, and the, the, you know, wanting to stay up and eat, what lesson did he learn from me that night? Did I ask him? And if he's seven, can he actually learn the lesson I'm trying to teach him? Is, is he learning the philosophy about respect and trust and boundaries and getting good night's sleep? Does he care about any of that? And is he even capable of caring about it? And these are the questions we have to start to ask ourselves is, do, does our kid really understand what we're teaching? And are we even aware of the lesson that we're trying to teach and the lessons they may learn that we're not even trying to teach? And so if it is gentle parenting, if you're trying to say, hey, I want to be open, I want to be empathetic, I want to be uh, connective, I want to work on our attachment and attune, that's great. We should be doing that. But what is the goal and what is the reason? Is it coming from a place of fear, right, that they might not love us or they might not feel fully safe or they might have, uh, you know, some discomfort? Because that's going to be a problem. Because through discomfort and through pain and through struggle is how we build resiliency. We also don't want to swing to the other side where we're like, well, good, then I'm just, they need to suffer essentially so they learn. And I think we tend to go to those extremes because the middle is really hard. The middle is really difficult to apply appropriately. And so we have to give ourselves some grace and get out of this shame-based parenting that we talked about earlier. It's not A plus B equals C. Our job is not to be a perfect parent who does all the therapeutic things correctly. And if we do that, our kid will turn out fine and they'll turn out perfect. They're not going to. They're going to have struggles. They're going to have issues. They're going to have insecurities and spiritual attacks, even if you do all the right things. If we look to Adam and Eve, you know, they had what we would say is a perfect parent. They had perfect harmony and peace and shalom with God, and yet they chose disobedience and fear they chose to doubt if God loved them and they were securing his care. They were, you know, um, not corrupted, but they were manipulated by the serpent and told the, the same thing, the same lie they were already thinking. He was there whispering, yeah, God doesn't love you. Yeah, you're not safe in his care. And if we look at our kids, that's the struggle they have. They're going to have that struggle. So even if you are a perfect parent, even if you do all the gentle parenting in the world and you attach and you attune and you're always present, they still have struggles internally. And that's not a reflection of you. It can be a reflection of you. We can be very unhelpful and un unhealthy as parents, and we can set our kids up for failure. But we can also do everything right, and they can still have doubt and fear and anxiety and frustration because the world is different than it's ever been. And the lies that the world's telling our kids is constant. And so I think to find the middle ground, we have to get back to, you know, connecting with our kids early on and often because the more connection we have with them and the more early and often we have it, the more trust is built between them and us. And the goal should be not to be perfectly a gentle parent or not to be this parent that punishes and corrects in a way that the kid's perfectly obedient, but it should be to, to learn who our kid is and who God has made them and how they're wired and their personality and their gifting and their skill set. And then to nurture that and walk alongside that because they're only ours for just a little bit of time. They're only ours for a blink. And really, I mean, I'm already grieving, you know, Grady getting older and moving past, you know, into eight years old. And, you know, the next few years, he's going to need me less and want me less. And 
And for teen parents that are listening, you know that's the case because you're already there. And for adult parents, you're like, yeah, they're already out the house. I miss this part or I, uh, I want this part back. And so uh, my hope is for those parents that you realize that you still have the opportunity to, to get back down to the root, to build bridges between you and your kid about truth and about who they are and what their identity is. And that starts with us dealing with our own stuff and understanding that we might have messed up and apologizing for it and making amends with our adult children or our teen children and, and starting from scratch. But if you're a parent of a little kid, start that now. You know, Start that discipleship and teaching them about things in every interaction. Helping them to tell a story about themselves. You know, the Bible teaches us, um, the story kind of goes in this order. God says he creates everything and then he tells us who he is. Right, that he's good and he's powerful and he's loving and he's gracious. And then he creates humans and he tells them who they are. And then he tells them what their purpose to be, that their purpose to be his image bearers on earth, that they're loved and they're valued and they're secure, that he created them to be in relationship with them because he sees them and they're good. And then sin happens and everything gets super jacked up. And I think so much of our parenting, we do that in the, the wrong order. We start with the sin and the behavior, and then we walk it back to God. And I think our goal should be is to get our kids to to become who they've always been destined to become. To to not have to um, learn from the world, the world's version of them, and then eventually learn that they are loved and they are valued and they are secure. But I think because we as parents are in so much pain and in so much trauma ourselves and that we haven't healed from that we're working out our issues with our kids. We're still trying to get, we're still trying to feel worthy and valuable and secure in our parenting. So if we're good parents, then we're going to feel stable. If our kids are making good grades, we're going to feel stable. If they're the best on the baseball team, then we're going to feel good about ourselves. We did a good job because of this outcome happened with our kid. And that's just not a biblical way to parent. It's not a spirit-led, spirit-driven way to parent. And it's not the order in which God kind of taught us. And, and we get caught up in it because of our own pain. It's got to start with us knowing who we are and whose we are and what our identity is so that we can walk with our kid. It's got to start with understanding their abilities and their, their development so that we can be there for them and we can know what to expect. We can know what's appropriate or not. You know, I always use the example of a, you know, the 12 month old who's throwing their food on the ground. You know, they're sitting at the high chair and they're constantly throwing their food on the ground. And it's very frustrating. And I have parents come in and there's all kinds of books and ways that you can get them to quote unquote, stop doing that and techniques to do it. And it's very annoying. You know, you're, you've cleaned it up 14 times and they're still dropping it. But every baby at that age does that, right? Everybody goes through these things, potty training, same way, sleep training, same way, you know, all these things with kids that we have all these books and all these things that we talk about on how to make it better and what you can do to prevent it. We have all this stuff because we're all going through it. So it's a totally normal developmental stage that every kid, they're not doing anything wrong. It's just exhausting and frustrating as parents. 
And that exhaustion and that frustration brings up in us fear and anger and, and irritation about like, are we doing the right thing? Are we doing the wrong thing? Is there something that we could do to make the situation easier? And, and what that says about us brings up all these feelings that we need to cope with. And we typically then work that out with our kid. And again, we've been doing that for years on the side of like kids are to be seen and not heard. It doesn't matter what they're experiencing. You sit over there, the adults are talking, get out of here. And we've swung over into everything's about our kids. They're the idol. They're the, they're the thing we need. Our marriages fall to the wayside. Our individual needs fall to the wayside. And as long as our kids are happy and they're taken care of and we don't miss one thing ever, man, they're fine. And again, it's a spectrum. We're all on the spectrum. And um, some days it's better and some days it's not. But if we get centered on this idea that, we're, that I'm talking about today, that, that God loves you and sees you as his child, and if we can believe that or figure out where, where it went wrong in our life that we don't believe it, then we can parent differently. It doesn't mean it's not going to be irritating. Man, having that understanding changes the way we react. And we talked about de-escalation last week on the podcast. And so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that. But again, if we're centered with our kids, then we can understand it. We can understand them. We can react appropriately. And so we can find that balance, you know. The second part is we have to do that together as spouses. You know, I think so many of us, because we have different personalities and we were raised by different families and we have different styles of parenting and we read these blogs and these posts and we want to, you know, we want to do all the things. We don't do that together. You know, we make decisions separately as individuals instead of what's best for our family and our coupleship and our usness is what we would call it. And so we got to make sure we're doing that too. We got to make sure we're talking with our spouse about discipline and consequences and that, you know, we're on the same page. It's huge. And if you're a single parent, this just speaks to the need for community. So many of us, you know, we go through these grueling, grinding parts of parenting with teenagers, with young adults, with little bitty kids, and we don't have a measuring stick, right? We don't, we don't know what's normal because we're not around other people and their families anymore. We're in this individual isolated space trying to do it all by ourselves, trying to raise this kid all by ourselves, trying to meet all their needs, trying to make work and do all that so we can provide them you know, the things that they're going to need to entertain themselves and to feel loved and to have the next best X, Y, Z. So they're okay. And yet we're doing that all in isolation. And so if our kid's having an issue with sleep or our kid's having an issue with, um, eating or our kid's having the issue with hitting or biting, or, you know, if they're a teenager, they're having dating issues and we don't have a close knit community around us of people who are going through those same things, then we don't have anything to measure whether we're doing, you know, a decent job or not. And that shame that comes from that, that feeling of, am I doing the right thing? And I'm in the middle of this, you know, dumpster fire, but I don't even know what to do is so overwhelming. But when we see, like we see the science and we read the books and we understand what a kid's supposed to do and not supposed to do and what's normal and what's not, or I would say what's healthy and what's not, then we can give ourselves some slack and we can really adjust the areas in which we need to. And then just let the parts that are, just going to happen, happen. And if we have friends that are next to us going, Hey, yeah, my kid doesn't sleep either. But I think this is the detriment of our society and social media is 
you know, we, we went from kids are to be seen, not heard into, you know, this hyper child psychology, you know, let's, you know, let's figure these kids out. Let's make them the center of everything. And now everybody's vicariously living through Facebook with each other. And you assume no one else is going through what you're going through until you talk to people and their life's a mess too with little kids. You know, if they, they have two, three little kids under five, it's psycho. It's crazy. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just the society we live in because of all these things we just talked about. You're supposed to have them in sports. You're supposed to have them in a music. You're supposed to have them at church. You're supposed to spend time with them. It's just insane what the pressure that we put on each other and ourselves without even doing that intentionally. And while that's all going on, we're looking at everybody's lives online thinking, well, they're all fine. They never have any problems. They have never have any sleepless nights. They don't have any kids that talk back to them. They don't have any kids that, you know, from 5 to 7.30 at night are losing their minds. Because no one's sharing it and no one's talking about it. But they come in my office and it seems like, oh man, this is super common. This is totally normal to go through this. And you're not, you know, I can tell them you're not alone, but it would be much better than me having to tell them and reassure them that if we had a community of people who were doing that, who instead of having this kind of shame-based judgmental parenting had more of an open, mindful, accepting, vulnerable way of parenting that we could check in with people and say, Hey, listen, my kid's doing this. And instead of feeling like they're going to shame us or blame us, they're going to say, Oh yeah, us too. Here's what we did to help with that. And here's what worked for us, but it might not work for you because your kid's different and you might, you know, but instead if we do ask for advice, it's like, Oh yeah, you do it this way. This is the way to do it. This is the right way. Anything else is wrong. And it's like, that's not, that's not the way either. That's just the swing the opposite direction. You know, with us, like for food allergies, you know, we've had to make a lot of compromises just to get them to have enough calories. And that's built in us some some habits that are hard to deal with. You know, they graze. They, they, you know, they get up and they get down and they get up and they get down. And some families are like, that's unacceptable. The kid needs to sit and eat and that's it. Well, if we would have done that from the beginning, they would have starved. Literally. They would have lost weight. They would have had problems and so the stress of just trying to get them to eat and get the calories in them they need with the little bit of food they have has opened the door to our lifestyle being a little different. And that built some habits that are not so great that were unavoidable. And now we're trying to figure out now that things are stable and safe, like how to walk that back out and how to, you know, make them sit at the table and us sit at the table together and for them not to get up and move around. And then part of me is like, why do I even care? You know, they go to school and they don't have any problem with it. They sit when they need to sit and they listen when they need to listen. It's not like the teacher's calling saying, Clint, you know, Jude gets up every two seconds for meeting, you know, maybe a little bit in the beginning, but for the most part, they follow whatever environment they're at in church and school and on a, in the sports, they do what everybody else is doing. But man, there's this fear at home that if I don't get in a huge argument about sitting at the thing, the table and eating that, you know, they're going to grow up to be kids who are disobedient and don't listen and don't respect and blah, blah, blah. And maybe a little bit that's true. And I think that's the hard part of finding the balance is I want them to trust me and trust that I know what's best for them and not build bad habits. While at the same time, I have to consider who they are and what their life has been like and what their special circumstances are and try to adapt that the best that I can. Because I care more about if they trust me and they feel safe with me 
and they can communicate with me and they can ask what they need and they can express their emotions. But man, the old school way says, don't do that. You're going to create little monsters. You know, I'll see uh, memes online. It'll be a kid bent over somebody's knee and have a belt spanking them. And it says, this is what's wrong. You know, bring this back to America or whatever. This is what's wrong with America. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, it's so sad that you think that one thing is the symptom that's that's going to solve everything. Is you know, if we just spanked our kids more, that that would solve the problem. And I always say, you know, work for juvenile court for a long time. If you go over the the jail right now, there's 160 kids in there here in Shreveport, and if you ask them to raise their hand on who got hit, 99% of them would raise their hand. So it's not necessarily the deterrent that we think it is. But the kids who feel seen and feel heard and feel known and feel safe with their parents, yeah, they might have some behavior problems. They might have some issues. But those are the kids who are actually respectful, who can listen, who can take their own opinion in, who can speak their mind. But, man, that gets really hard when you swing over to them speaking their mind at 8 o'clock at night about food. Those are the moments where I'm like, just shut up and do what I say and go to bed. But that's not really life. You know, if there's something that we cook and I don't want it, I don't eat it. You know, I'd pick something else. I'll eat a sandwich. I'll eat some chips or I'll just go hungry. You know, I'm like, I don't really want to eat. But for kids, we're like, oh, no, you have to follow exactly. So it's just this weird balance where we're acting like we're preparing our children for real life and adulthood and and quote unquote the world. And yet that's not how we have to act as adults. We only have to act like that when we're kids. We only have to fall in line and listen and be, quote-unquote, obedient without question when we're children. And then we become adults who don't know how to question and ask for our needs. And yet my other side crowd's going, yeah, but you can't just let them run all over you. And I'm saying, yeah, that's true. You can't. You have to have boundaries. You have to know when, when the moment is where that's enough. But I think if if you go too far one way or the other, it's chaos. And so my challenge is just to challenge us to, to find the middle, to find the middle ground where we ask good questions. We see our kid as a full human developing in the image of God that they are. We listen to them and understand them from a therapeutic standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, we set boundaries and clear expectations with them. And we do all of this as best we can seven or eight out of ten times. Because we're going to screw it up. There's going to be times where we yell. There's going to be times where we shut down. There's going to be times where we stay on our phone too much. There's going to be times where we let them eat too much ice cream and stay up too late and, and do things that, you know, aren't necessarily quote unquote the best. But we also have the ability to repair those and, and speak truth in their lives and and follow that up with, you know, seven or eight times out of the right thing. And at the end of the day, the the kid feels safe and secure and, and they can come to us and they can talk to us and they can find that balance. And so, you know, today I hope that I just challenge you to think through those two ways of being, you know, if you're, if you find yourself a kid just being exacerbated and frustrated and always yelling and always exhausted and always overwhelmed, then get some, get some support. 
whether that's at church or whether that's in therapy or, or, you know, be vulnerable with your friend group and just say, man, I feel like we're just doing the same thing over again, spinning our wheels and frustrated and overwhelmed. And I'm feeling like a bad mom. I'm feeling like a bad dad. We're feeling like all out of sorts. Like we all are. I do this for a living and do this podcast and still struggle with the same inadequacies and insecurities and frustrations and imperfections and screw ups that everybody else does. Even because, because information is not necessarily the problem. We need support. We need validation. We need connection. We need this, this empathy that comes from other parents and community that helps us parent in a way that is different than the world. You know, that's the major goal. We want to look at our lives and, and reflect to the world and to our friends and to our neighbors, a different way of doing things. And we want it to be a stark contrast to the way it's always been done. If you're on the other side and you're feeling run over, right? You feel like uh, you have no authority in your house. Like kids are controlling everything. They're the they're the center of all attention. We've got to take a pause and go. Okay, hey, I got to prioritize myself. I got to prioritize my marriage. I got to prioritize this thing above them. And I give you permission to be tired and to take a break and to not go play and to say no, right? To set the boundary. We want to do it in a gentle, loving way, of course, but we also have to teach our children that they can't, they, they're not the center of the world at all times. And that everything they want, they can't have right this second, even if they can, because they can. That's the crazy part of this world is like, they can pick any cartoon they want. They can eat pretty much any food they want. They can do whatever they want because we're in a season and in a culture that we have the finances and the ability and the availability to do it. But that might not be good. It may not be good for children and teenagers to think they can get and do and be whatever they want at all times. It's okay for them to see that your needs also matter. It's okay for them to see that their brothers or their sisters' needs matter too and that we're in a family and in a system where we got to learn to serve and, and what we want right this second might not be what's best. And they're going to throw a fit and they're going to be upset with it and they're going to feel bad about it. And we're going to work that out with them and say, hey, listen, I love you and I'm here for you and I hate that you feel that way, but we're still doing it this way. And that builds in them the ability to tolerate pain and suffering and, and it not being about them. Because as soon as they're out of your house, the world doesn't care. And so we've got to strike that balance in the middle. We've got to help them see that they're loved, they're valued, they're secure. And yet the world is not going to be teaching them about that. And they're not the center of all of it. And deferring their reward, learning to defer their reward is the greatest gift we can give them. And so let's sit with them in their pain. Let's sit with them in their emotions but there's a time to move them out of that and into personal responsibility. And it's a dance, a dance that we can't dance alone. We have to have other people. And so if this is bringing it up for you, like, man, I need to figure out this balance, then please reach out for help. Please get some good books. Please listen to some good podcasts. Please, you know, go on YouTube. And I mean, it's, it's easy. We have all, we have so much good information. And then if you find yourself in your gut being like, Oh, I'm not really sure this is balanced reach out to somebody and find somebody in your area, somebody 
who you can ask those questions to because we all have different kids and different personalities and different lifestyles and there's not one right way to do it but it is the, the best you can do is striving for that middle ground and constantly being in that dance of the middle and not swinging to the right or the left just because you're overwhelmed or just because you're avoiding being like your mother or your father or just because you're avoiding the toxicity on the other side so i hope you enjoyed this i hope it's helpful i hope it's um brings you closer to god and and peace in your life um, keep listening and like our podcast and subscribe and hope you have a good week god bless